Good morning, church. How are you this morning? And Dana is so right about this is God's weather, this is God's baptism, it's God's church. I, I know already of, of three stories of high impact that have happened only because baptism has been postponed and postponed and postponed. On, on one of those um, Sundays following the first postponement, there was a man out of the postponement itself who came to me and after long conversation and long search has now trusted his life to Jesus. And he's going to be in the baptism group, and there are at least two more stories and probably some more that would come from today. And we, we, have, we have total peace. This is, this is God's agenda and God's deal, because he is a God of all power and all love and all grace. And, and today's message is one of such, of such stunning good news. It's about God's power in a couple of very specific ways. And, and I'll get to those in a few moments, and, and I, I hope you will grasp them and appreciate them and leverage them. But before I do, we're deep into this series on the Holy Spirit, and, and I want to recap because some of you are, are new attending today, but maybe even more so, those of you that attend here all the time, there's some keys about this series that I'm hoping you will remember for the rest of your life. They're that important. And so I've been saying these things now for about five or six weeks. And so if I miss one, would you holler out one to me? Okay. Okay, God is, there's one God, but the one God is a God of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The great mystery, that one God, but a God of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who this series is about, is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an energy or a force. The Holy Spirit is a person with all of the elements of personality, with thoughts and mind and emotion and will, all of that. And the Holy Spirit has, has the fullness of the attributes of God in Him, as does the Father and as does, as does the Son. This is very important. Like All of the power of God resides in the Holy Spirit. All of the love of God resides in Him. All of the knowledge of God resides in Him. All the holiness and on and on and on resides in Him. And then there's this stunning deal is that for every single person who trusts their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit in that moment and from then on takes up residence in that person's life. The Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of God moves into the house The relationship is so intimate. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you're sitting here, just pause pause and think with me about about how significant that is. The fullness of God has taken up residence in you. He is that close to your thought and minds and emotions and thought. He's that close to you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then be aware of what, what will happen if you become a follower of Him. And in previous weeks, I've talked about some of the some of the things the Holy Spirit does, we talked about how the Holy Spirit guides followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is this guide. And this very last Sunday, um, a good friend of mine was here at church. He has a terminal illness and is probably um, in the last days. But this guy's been here for the last few years every single Sunday he can, every single time he can. And last Sunday was one of those Sundays He's at the end, and, and he dragged himself here again. And he would write me later, and he would say, it's all I could do just to survive, just to sit here for the hour. And he said, I got up, and I was trying to gather the energy to leave. And there was a lady who I'd never seen before who came down from the risers. And she approached me and said, the Holy Spirit during the service just told me to come give you a hug. 
And the man is telling me later, he's saying, I've never seen her before. She doesn't know me. She doesn't know what's going on in my life. But he said, the reality was for me, he said, was God told me in a very tangible way, again, he knows me, he loves me, he's watching me, he's with me again. He said that, that hug, that hug was stunning. And it was simply because the Holy Spirit, who lives inside every Christ follower, just chose to speak. And that lady, who I don't know who she is, maybe she's here in this service, maybe she was last service, but that lady was listening and she just responded. She didn't know who this man was, but she just had the courage to go up and say, I don't know you, you don't know me, but God said to give you a hug and this is from God. The Holy Spirit guides us. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit gives what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. We said the definition of that is a spiritual gift is a God-given ability that God infuses with his power. It's a God-given ability that God infuses with his power. And it can be something like administration. If you have the spiritual gift of administration, when you use that, what that means is that far beyond your ability to have impact, the Holy Spirit of God will give power to that and bring results far beyond what you could ever do. Some of you in this room, maybe it's hospitality, or maybe it's cooking and baking, or maybe it's leadership, or maybe it's worship, or the arts, or technology. But if it's a spiritual gift, and when you use it, the Holy Spirit will bring results, supernatural results, because He gives you power in that area of life. Now, today, today I want to talk about, there are two aspects of life that the Holy Spirit brings his infinite power to in the life of every single follower of Jesus. So if you're sitting in this room, you follow Jesus, he brings his power into these two areas all the time in your life. If you're not a follower, if you become a follower, he'll begin to live in you and do the very same in your life as well. The first is this, is the power to draw others to Jesus. The power to draw others to Jesus. I, I don't know what your story is, but... When I finally came to know Jesus and follow him, I found like I, I won the lottery. And I wanted everyone I knew to win as well. I just didn't know how to do it. I thought, my, I can never explain this well enough. I can never talk someone into this kind of faith. I could never do it. What I didn't realize is, is that, is that God says that he's going to bring power into every single time we, we make the effort to draw someone to Jesus, the power of God will be at work. In Acts 1.8, the setting is this. The, the crucifixion has happened uh, 40 days before this, so the resurrection has happened. Jesus has shown himself several times. This is the very last time he would show himself with skin on and with scars in his hands, the very last time. It's the very last conversation that he has with his disciples. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, when the Spirit comes upon you, and, and which happened 10 days later and now happens the moment someone trusts Jesus, it happens then and, and his, the Spirit stays in a person, you'll receive this power to be my, he uses the term witnesses. That sounds really religious. And, I've found, and I don't do well with religious terms, which is probably a problem since I'm a pastor, but I really don't. So it's helped me to think of witness in legal terms and think of our legal system. And I think about what a witness is called to do in our legal system, and they're just simply called to tell what they know and have seen and heard and experienced. That's what a witness does. A witness says, I've seen this. 
I've heard this. I've experienced this. I know this. And that's all Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you'll be my witnesses. It's just as simple as, as you, will, you will tell people what you know about me, what you've seen me do, what you've experienced in me. You'll just simply tell them. And then he says, when you do it, you'll have power because the Holy Spirit will be in you. You'll have this power to do this. And so um, 10 days later, okay, so that day he ascends to heaven. 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes for the first time and begins to live in Christ's followers. And, and God causes, you need to read Acts 2. This is Acts 2. Um, God causes this big commotion in the city of Jerusalem. There's this massive crowd of thousands that gather. They're confused. They don't know what's happening. So Peter stands up. He's this uneducated guy. He's just a fisherman. He's from way up north. He has this weird accent, and he talks funny. And it's, I, I don't know why God always calls people from the north, and they talk funny. But like Dana Aronson, lead pastor, it's like that. Peter was Dana Aronson, or Dana is Peter, I guess I should say. And so, so Peter stands up to this crowd that 50 days before, as you read the chapter, you realize that most of them, they actually saw Jesus die. They saw a live man die. And in the context of what Peter says, many of them believed he deserved to die. Many of them on that Friday crucifixion, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So they saw him die, many think justifiably so, and so he stands up, and the heart of his message is this. In Acts 2.32, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He's saying, that dead man, he's risen back to life again, and we're witnesses. We've seen it. Now, think with me for a moment. How compelling is that? (laughs) There's this guy that you saw die, and Maybe you were the ones that think he deserved it, and you know he's dead. And, and some guy stands up with a weird accent and says, he's come back to life. What, how, what would your response be? Suppose someone comes up to you this week, someone maybe you don't really have a relationship with, and you're not that impressed by, and they say, hey, this guy, Joe Blow, hey, you know he died seven weeks ago, Joe Blow. He's risen from the dead. Come follow Joe Blow with me. How convincing is that? Are you going to do that? You're going to give your life to follow Joe Blow? Especially when you say, well, okay, if Joe Blow's alive, I know he died. If he's alive, where is he? I want to see him. And you say, well, you can't see him anymore, but I saw him. That's all Peter had. That's all Peter had. And he should have been laughed off the stage. And yet in Acts 2.41, it says very understatedly, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Can you say the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, the guy stands up and says, a dead man's alive. I can't show him to you, but I know I saw him. That is not convincing. Yet 3,000 people said, now I believe that. I will follow him with my life. That's what Jesus said. "I I will give you this power to draw others to me. When you are my witnesses, when you just tell what you know, what you've seen, what you've experienced, I will bring power into it, and there will be supernatural results. Uh, 3,000 baptized in one day, can you imagine? And we've done baptism with 140. It took forever. It seemed like it ran you know, a few days. It felt like it, it was all great, but it took forever to do that. 3,000 people. We have 100 people waiting to be baptized. They've been waiting all month to be baptized. 100 people. And those 100 people have had 
witnesses in their life. Most cases, witnesses right here in this church, some of you, and all you've done is said, this is what I have seen of Jesus, this is what I know of Jesus, this is what I have experienced of Jesus. He's alive. He's changed my life. And, and he's alive and longs to change yours as well. How, how I, I've, I've had these conversations with more people than I could ever count. And almost every time, as I'm about to say, Jesus is alive, this thought crosses my Aggie engineering mind. And the thought is, this is going to sound absurd. To this person I'm, I'm speaking to, this is going to sound absolutely absurd. A dead man is alive. You can't see him. Just trust me. I know him. That, that thought crosses my mind, but now there's this propulsion to go forward because I'm reminded that it's not my words or my eloquence or anything I will do other than just be the witness. But guarantee every time the power of God will be at work. And the power of God will not take away that person's free will, and that person might still reject, or they may need more time, there may be barriers. But I know, and you can know too, every time you say to someone, this is what I know about Jesus, what I've experienced, this is, this is what I have seen in, with Jesus, he is alive. You can know the power of the Holy Spirit will be at work every single time. Okay, that's one of the powers I want to talk about. The other, and there's a connection that I will bring to bear. The other power is this at work in every Christ follower's life. It's the power over sin. It's the power over sin. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, he's saying to Christ followers, because the Spirit of God who has all powers living in you, then there's this power within you that has the power to abolish that sin in your life. Whatever sin it is that God's been putting a spotlight on, and whether the spotlight's been there for a day or a week or a month or for 10 years, the message is the Spirit in you has the power to help you abolish that sin from your life. We're going to talk about how he tends to do that in a few moments. That power is there. And then Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 3.3. And this is where it's going to link back to this power of witness as well. Paul would write, Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter, or your life, this letter of your life is written, not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're... Your life is this walking letter that tells the story of Jesus upon your life. Very tellingly, about half the books of the New Testament, they were letters to churches. And, and often now you'll read the letter to, or the epistle, they would say, which means letter to the epistle, or the letter to, to Corinth, or to Rome, or wherever else it was. And Paul is writing and saying, well, it's not just these written, written scripture. Your life is this living letter and your life is being reshaped, and, and the story of your life is being written by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus, which means the sin in my life and the sin in your life, if we're following him well, and we'll talk more about what this looks like, if we're following him, those sins become history. And part of our, our witness of Jesus grows more and more profound because someone sees our life, and there's more and more to the story. 
There's more and more to the transformation that's happened. There's more and more to the redemption that's happened as time goes by. There's another page written in the letter again and again and again. There's this complete power over sin. And the letter of your life is taking on more and more the, the look of the very character of Jesus in your life. There's a, there's a dear friend of Marie's and mine that has agreed to let me interview her about the letter of her life and given you this very personal, intimate glimpse into this letter and how God is continuing to write the letter in her life. And it's someone that many of you know, most of you here will know at some level or another, but it's Sarah Hale. Mark Hale's our worship leader. Sarah is his wife. She's a very gifted worship leader herself. And uh, so I want to invite Sarah to come up. Would you give her this huge FCC welcome coming up? Besides being this uh, very gifted worship leader, she's the um, mother of three, uh, two of whom have been delivered, one yet to be delivered, but she's this mother of three. And I cannot thank you enough for having the vulnerability and the uh, heartbeat to let others see what God's doing in your life. You, eight and a half years ago, you placed your faith in Jesus and surrendered your life to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it caused an impact upon your life. It did. Um, a big impact. Uh, my life at that time was just filled with a lot of selfishness and greed. And the Lord just stripped me of that very, very quickly. Um, my life was consumed with a lot of material things. Money, uh, shoes, clothes, purses. Uh, and a lot of drugs and alcohol. And I was having sex outside of marriage and living with somebody at the time. And once I accepted Jesus into my life, just it was very rapid how I was able to quit drinking, quit doing drugs, ended that relationship, got rid of a lot of my possessions, and I just threw myself into ministry. Marie and I knew you at that time, and all that happened here at FCC. And, and there was dramatic change. It seemed that whatever Jesus said, you just simply did it. And yet there was one thing that didn't change. Right. So I've battled with an eating disorder since I was 12 years old, um, specifically bulimia, which is when you eat and then purge your food. Um, it's pretty detrimental. It mm-hmm. can kill, it can cause it, death. It can kill people. It does yeah. kill people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, that wasn't something that, it was just such a part of my everyday life. I didn't connect it with the spirituality with the Lord, that it might hinder my walk mm-hmm. with him. But about a year into my walk, probably about probably right whenever Mark and I got married, I started to feel like that was something else I needed to change. So I tried to go cold turkey, and that didn't work very, very well at all. And um, addiction is just something that's so different. It's not just a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And so I began praying, and I prayed for six years every day, um, before and after a meal, every night, I would just beg the Lord, just please take this away from me. Take my addiction. Um, take my disease. And it never happened. So, so six years of asking, knowing God had the power, yet he didn't just miraculously take it away. What impact did that have on your relationship with Jesus and your perspective of him? You know, I look back now, and I, I really had a bipolar faith. I loved the Lord and I loved to worship him and serve him. But there were so many moments where I was so, I was really angry and frustrated. Um, and I felt abandoned. There, uh, this Jesus that I'd fallen in love with 
all of a sudden in my head his voice was one of condemnation and was just very judgmental and um, not the Jesus I'd come to know. And there eventually just came a point where it had been so long of praying, I just got to this place of complacency where I just thought, okay, this is my thorn, my cross to bear, and, you know, this is never going to change. We, uh, we put together this infusion marriage retreat, and you and Mark were key in shaping it and leading it. We, we did the very first one, and on that retreat, God spoke into your life fresh all over again. It was a really powerful weekend for us. Uh, there was an opportunity where we were given to surrender some sins or things that were inhibiting us from our walk with the Lord that were standing in the way. And any time that that opportunity is given to us at FCC, I always would give up my eating disorder um, and then pick it back up a couple of days later. Uh, that was just sort of the habit. But this time was so, so different. And I really believe it was because Mark was there. And I just couldn't do it. Uh, we ended up having a really difficult conversation and came to realize that the eating disorder had become the, the mistress, the other woman in our marriage. Um, I didn't realize that this addiction, this disease, this sin had taken such a toll on my husband um, that I didn't know he was hurting as badly as he was for me and for us. I had told many lies to him, broken trust, literally stolen money from our bank account to, to binge and purge and feed my addiction. And, and there were so many sweet moments that I missed out on because I was so consumed mm -hmm. by the disease. Mm -hmm. Out of that uh, crisis conversation, both of you took this key step. Yeah. Um, that weekend, we just knew we had to move right then. So we went to FCC leadership and we asked for guidance and accountability and they were able to lead us to a faith-based recovery for eating disorders and food addiction. Mm -hmm. So uh, you say faith-based, it was very biblically based. Mm -hmm. How is that different than any other recovery process and help? Yeah, I tried other recovery programs over the years. This one was so different because Christ is at the center of it. Um, and it's so vital and important for a Christian when you're going through something. And probably the biggest impact that having faith-based recovery did was teach me about the Holy Spirit and who he is and his impact in my life. I'd never really taken the time to study the Holy Spirit prior to that. And it finally just began to click through the recovery road that the Holy Spirit, he lives in me and that he's powerful and I have access to that power. And in the past, I tried to do it by myself and I always failed. And so this became a, a journey of, I'm going to have to live moment by moment, day to day in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit if I'm gonna get through this and let him guide and lead me. So it wasn't uh, a prayer in the morning, a prayer at lunch, a prayer at dinner time, no. or a prayer at night. It was as much as you could. It was moment by moment. It was, it was Holy Spirit, guide me into this next moment, yes. especially the hard moments. Yes. Guide me into these moments. Mm -hmm. I know from our longer conversations we've had, I know he has been faithful and has led you in so many ways. There are three ways that have been most powerful of all. Right. Tell us about those ways. Um, first, and I think the most important, was just the Holy Spirit really led me to Scripture. 
and specifically because, you know, it's really difficult to hear the truth versus the lies um, and to hear the Holy Spirit versus yourself in the word, in the, in the world. And um, by being rooted in scripture, I was able to constantly have the truth. The addiction, sin, disease, it tells lies. But scripture always tells the truth. And if my heart could be rooted in scripture and know that truth, then I would be able to decipher the difference between the world, between the lies in my head and the actual truth of God. And that was able to start leading me down the path Mm -hmm. that was actually following and being guided by the Holy Spirit's Mm -hmm. whispers. And in your case, Sarah, the Spirit didn't just say, just open up the Bible, but he said very specifically, turn... Romans, yes. The the Holy Spirit led me to the book of Romans. And... um, and I was able to study it in a very different way, the way that he guided me. Uh, it was word by word, line by line, page by page. You cannot move until I, until I release you and give you peace to move, until I knew it to my core, the truth of the scripture I was reading. So it's a 16-chapter book, and it took me nine months to pull it apart and dig through it with yeah. the Holy Spirit's guidance. To put the 16 chapters in perspective, it's maybe 15 pages so, so nine months, nine and months. I've heard you say that, that you were so intent on not just getting all of the knowledge in your head, but getting it in so deeply that it would remake your emotions, and your emotions would be responsive to that truth, and your actions would follow as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It just really did a lot of healing for my relationship with my Lord, and mm-hmm. it took me back to that place of um, falling back in mm-hmm. love and hearing the Jesus that truly mm-hmm. died for me. Mm-hmm. So one key way was leading you to scripture. Give us another one. Accountability. I think accountability is so important anytime you're reading scripture, whether you're in a season of um, hurt or thriving. Um, The Lord so wants us to be in community and have accountability. And so um, I sought a friend who knew about the disorder, who I knew I could trust wholeheartedly, that was authentic and genuine and would just hold me to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen, especially when we're trying to abandon a sin, that accountability is especially valuable then, yes. so valuable. So, so he led you to scripture, he led you to accountability. Give us the last one. Counsel, wise counsel. Um, mm-hmm. My eating disorder uh, counselor has been in, just mm-hmm. so invaluable to continue to have um, through this process. It's not going to be something where you meet for a couple months and then you're better and then you just lose counsel. It's something that you want to continually have. So she's been invaluable. And then it's been really neat to see, um, whether I sought them out or the Lord provided them just naturally, but the saged individuals that you've been talking about over the last few weeks that have lived life a little bit longer than I have followed the Lord Um, made mistakes and yet are still anchored in his truth, still are in a position of humility and they've just prayed over us, loved on us and just helped us through different situations Mm -hmm. as we're just going through this Mm -hmm. recovery road. So you're you're in this journey, you're still in this journey of this uh, moment by moment depends upon the spirit and following his leadings including the ones you've told us about. What impact has this had upon you? Today makes 470 days without incident. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. 
I'm gonna try not to cry. Um, <laughs> four hundred so four hundred and seventy days without incident. So since I believed the lies and felt the only way I could deal with my life was through mm-hmm. the addiction. I love this because you had recounted for me that that you had lived with bulimia, active bulimia for almost two decades, and the last six of those had been with prayers to God to say, just supernaturally, just take this away from me, with, with nothing all that time. All and you've said on my own power. Uh, but 470 days of that sin being the rearview mirror day after day after day. You, you have, I know, this massive appreciation of the power of the Holy Spirit now. I do. Um, I give all the glory to God for the 470 days, um, all the glory to the Holy Spirit, because when I tried to do it in my own power, um, I couldn't accomplish much of anything. I went maybe 30 or 60 days on my own, but I would always fail. And uh, I had to truly die to myself. I had to die to myself and allow the Holy Spirit to really take control in the reins of my life and my choices and come to that place of realization that um, he is almighty and powerful and he's with me always. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this song that we sang here at FCC a few times. It's called Same Power by mm-hmm. Jeremy Camp. And it has been such a beautiful, sweet song throughout this season because it speaks boldly about the Holy Spirit and who he is and the power that we have as long as we believe mm-hmm. truly in Jesus. Um, you know, the words say, greater is he who is living in me. He's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness. No weapon prevails. We can stand in victory because of this power that we have, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. He lives in me, and he lives in every single person that believes and has surrendered to Christ. And when you can truly submit and tap into that power, you can, you can conquer anything mm-hmm. through him. I still recall the Sunday that you and Mark introduced the song to us, and and what stuck in my mind was uh, it was introduced with such uh, intimate passion that it was striking. And I, I was down there as we were beginning the song, and then it hit me. I, I, I knew why, because I knew where the story was at at that stage. Now, I am, I am so grateful, Sarah, that, that you've given the Holy Spirit such, um, such moment-by-moment attention and obedience to, and you've allowed him to write a new page of the letter of your life that is so compelling. And for all that struggle with sin, whether it's addictions of one type or, or any sin, there's so much hope in knowing your story because your story can become theirs as well. So thank you. Could we give Sarah just a massive appreciation? There, there can be, there should be such massive hope. If, if you're a Christ follower, then the Spirit lives in you already. But if you're not a Christ follower, you've gotten to a point in life where you're thinking, this life isn't unfolding the way I would like it to be, and it seems like I can't get it on track. Then, then if you become a follower of Jesus, then this, this same Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, will live in you and have the same power in you. And, and so for, for any of us then following him, and this is going to be true of every one of us. There are times that God points out a sin that's maybe been there for a long time, and he puts a spotlight on it. And, and some of those sins are easy to ditch 
and some are really, really hard. And I would just ask you, and this is for you just to ponder between you and God, is there such a sin in your life now? Is there such a sin now? And if there is, I would encourage you to, to massive hope. Because the Spirit lives in you, and He always brings His full power to those who want to shed a sin and to abandon a sin. And to be of help with this, I want to grab a couple of things that have come out of Sarah's story. And, and one is this, is, is to know this. A couple of key learnings is one is you have to know the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have to know that. That is the truth. I mean, that has to be buried within your reality. He lives in you. And then you have to depend fully upon the Holy Spirit moment by moment. You have to begin this new journey as much as you can. It becomes a practiced habit that gets better and better. But you have to begin this journey of, of depending fully upon Him moment by moment. And then, and this is just to capture, this is the way the Holy Spirit usually works. The Spirit has led Sarah in many, many ways. And rather than cover all of them, she covered the three that are most typical. The Spirit most often leads you and me to Scripture. And not just to read it and say, okay, I, I got that chapter behind me, but to do it the way he had Sarah do it. To say, I will not leave this word, this sentence, this verse uh, until it's changing me, everything in me. Not just my knowledge, but my emotions are remade and my actions remade. And then he leads to accountability. And if you have a sin in your life you've been trying to shed and not been able to, there's a high likelihood, and you don't have this rich Christian accountability Sarah talked about, someone you trust, someone that's honest, someone you can be honest with, there's a good chance that's the missing piece because the Spirit quickly leads there and says, find that person you can be accountable to. So it's you and the Spirit and another person as well, or maybe more than one person. And then finally, finding wise counsel. The Spirit almost always leads in the difficult sins to ditch, almost always leads us to wise counsel. If, if you have been in the position Sarah was at of, of praying that God would just remove the sin and wondering why he hasn't, here's a, here's a suggestion of probably why he is not. Think about Sarah's life. Think about if in that six-year window, if he had just supernaturally removed the sin. Would she ever have gotten to the, to the life she now knows of this intimacy with God, of walking with him moment by moment? And knowing the God of the universe at a level that she never had known him before. And, and now having the capacity with anything that's fresh, he's just one moment away of engaging that fresh issue or challenge or problem with him. And, and I think in all most likelihood, usually God doesn't just remove the sin because he has a better plan. And that plan is to walk this deeper journey with him and have this intimacy with him then that allows you to shed that sin and all others that come with it as well. Is, is there such a sin in your life? This is, this is what he wants to do in your life and write a new page in your letter. And then I would ask this as well. Jesus said, when the Spirit begins to live in you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will simply tell people what you have seen of me, what you've seen me do, what you know of me, what you've experienced of me. So my question is, are, are you being that witness? Are you looking for the opportunities in your life 
to tell people what you've seen, what you know, what you've experienced? Have you thought lately about what the letter of your life looks like? Have you thought lately about, about as you look at the letter of your own life, how it expresses deeply the love and the grace and the redemption of Jesus in your life? That's your story. That's your witness. And will you know that your witness is never dependent upon you telling the story so powerfully that someone will begin to believe that a dead man is alive and they should follow him. That's not to say we shouldn't work on trying to tell it as best we can. It will never be good enough, but you must know every time you tell that story and invite someone to see the letter of your life, the power of the Spirit of God will show up every single time. So this week, will you look for those times as you go through moment by moment? And maybe even if you don't feel prompted, we just take a ringer. I was at a McDonald's one day this week, and a man I'd never seen, and just took a flyer. Who knows what God might do in those times? Will you do that? Not up to you to be so compelling. You just be his witness. And his power will show up. His power to, to remove every sin one by one. And his power to, to work through you as, you as you thrive in this life with Jesus and long for someone else to know that life. Then you're called to be his witness. His power will show up in their life as well. And just maybe, just maybe, by the time we actually get around to a baptism, there won't be a hundred. There'll be a hundred and one or 105, or 110, 150, because you and I are that witness showing the letter of our life. Father in heaven, we cannot thank you enough that you would bring such power to bear in in the life of every Christ follower, no exception, such power to, to bear upon our lives that you would help us as we lean in and follow and depend upon the Spirit. You would help us uh, uh, take each sin you put it before us and make that sin history by your power. The tough ones we just can't do by your power that they will become history. And thank you, Father, that, that as we experience this life and, and long for someone else to know it as well, that when we simply be a witness and say, this is what I know, what I have seen, what I have experienced, that every time, every time, your power will show up. And, and we have no idea where that might lead. But we do know this, there are a hundred waiting now to be baptized because there were witnesses for them. And there will be 101 and 105 and 150 and more and more and more as we, as we take flyers and just be a witness for you, Father. Father, thank you for this mighty power that is poured into and through us from your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>